The second commandment forbids the worship of pictures and statues. And of course, you don't have that many religions here in the Western world that actually worship statues the way our ancestors did thousands of years ago. But even if we don't use statues as objects of worship, the practice of idolatry might actually be alive and kicking in the 21st century, right here in the Christian West, and it's more powerful than ever. Welcome to another edition of the Voice of Prophecy. My name is Sean Boonstra, and today we're going to look at a big connection between the ancient practice of idolatry and something else that goes on all the time right here in the Christian West. You know, as the Apostle Paul took the story of Jesus out to the Gentile world, he found himself immersed in a place where pagan religions were just par for the course. It was the way people lived. So Paul had to explain to his audience who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was. He had to preach monotheism, the worship of one God in a polytheistic world, a place where people worshipped many gods. And you know, nowhere did Paul's monotheistic message land him in more trouble than in the city of Ephesus, where the whole economy hinged on the cult worship of a very famous goddess named Diana. The Temple of Diana was one of the key reasons people actually visited the city of Ephesus, and we still remember that temple to this day as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was an absolutely massive structure, and if you were to take it and put it in a modern American city, it would still look impressive, even to this day, because that temple ran a full city block in one direction and two city blocks in the other direction. And while this might seem short by modern standards, it was actually 60 feet high. It was huge. Diana's temple was big enough to dwarf the Parthenon in Greece. And the only reason we don't remember Diana's temple like we remember the Parthenon is because, well, the ruins of the Parthenon are still around. But the temple of Diana was actually plundered by Goths in the middle of the 3rd century. And what they left behind was later obliterated by the Turks, so there's nothing left of the building today. But back in the day, oh, it was beyond impressive. That temple was the pride of the city. So it's not hard to figure out why Paul ended up in so much hot water when he brought the Christian gospel to town. Diana was the whole point of that city. In fact, by some accounts, That city took an entire month every spring just to celebrate Diana's greatness. And from what we can tell, the riot in Ephesus may have actually taken place during Diana's festival. That's what W.A. Criswell tells us, at least. And the festival might actually be the reason that Paul decided to stay in town, because of the massive audience that was coming from all the neighboring cities. So what I want to do now is pick up the story in Acts chapter 19, and I want to start reading in verse 23. Here's what it says. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. And of course, the way is Christianity. Verse 24. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. So his whole livelihood, as you can see, is depending on the cult of Diana. It's how he makes his money. 
He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. I want to stop the story right there and point out something that should be obvious. When people joined the Christian faith back in the first century, they were expected to give up all of their other gods. The Christian faith has always been exclusive. It has always insisted that Jesus is the only path to salvation. And that idea was no more popular back in the first century than it is today in the 21st century. Today, Christians are still ridiculed as small-minded, and they're castigated for being exclusive because they still to this day preach there is no salvation in any other. There is no path to heaven outside of Christ, no solution for human sinfulness apart from God's only begotten Son. When Paul preached in the first century, people gave up their other gods. And that's what got Demetrius all bent out of shape. If the gospel was successful, it was going to shut down his whole way of living, his livelihood. Now listen to the story as it continues in verse 27, and this is Demetrius speaking to his other craftsmen. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised, and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! Now listen to me carefully. What happened that day is not insignificant. Diana was a local deity intimately identified with the city. But she was also a global phenomenon because she resembled other pagan goddesses. So, for example, when the Greeks moved into Asia Minor following Alexander the Great, they noticed that Diana resembled their own goddess Artemis. And she also resembled Ishtar of Babylon and Ashtaroth of the Canaanites. Diana was a goddess that everybody could relate to. You know, I find it interesting just how much overlap there is in all the world's ancient pagan religions. The gods and goddesses of Greece and Rome have definite counterparts in the old religions of Babylon and Egypt and even the Germanic peoples, my own ancestors. And, you know, even beyond the known ancient world, you know, the Mediterranean basin in Europe and so on, there was still a lot of overlap. You can actually find common elements in the old pagan religions of ancient South America, for example. Almost all these ancient pagan religions tied their gods to astronomy or the elements. These people worshipped the sun. They had a god of the sky and a god of the earth and on and on and on. There was so much overlap that it's fairly obvious, if you're looking at it, that all of these ancient pagan religions had some kind of common ancestor, some kind of common origin. And from a biblical perspective, the most likely candidate for a common place of origin would be the original cities on the plains of Shinar, the ones mentioned in the book of Genesis, which is where ancient Babylon was born. Now I'm kind of digressing from the story. Let's get back to it. Diana of the Ephesians was a really big deal. And according to Demetrius, she was something of an international phenomenon. He said the world actually worshipped her. And that fact should ring a bell for Christian believers who study prophecy. Because in Revelation 13, there are these clear indications that at some point, there will be another global religious system. 
And that system will be intimately tied to the whole world's economy. And in that day, when that happens, people who do not toe the line will eventually be excluded from buying and selling. And when the whole system collapses, it will be the merchants of the earth who mourn the destruction of Babylon. So the story of Paul and Diana may actually have some last-day implications. In some ways, it prefigures a time when Bible-believing Christians are going to face the same kinds of challenges that Paul faced in Ephesus. Now, I have to take a quick break. We just have to do it. But when we come back, I'm going to talk about why the arrival of Christianity meant the death of Demetrius's business, and why the Ten Commandments still forbid the worship of statues. And then we're going to uncover an amazing connection between ancient idolatry, or the worship of these statues, and the modern phenomenon of Internet pornography. Now, I promise you, this is something you are not going to want to miss. I'll be right back. Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if your life has lost its meaning, just moving from one task to another without any answers to the really important questions in life? Like, is it possible to have a fresh start and to find real happiness? Well, the Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for to this and to all of life's big questions. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. You can choose to study in the format that's most convenient for you. You may either do the lessons completely online or have them mailed right to your home. Both options are completely free of charge. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. And now we are back. This is the Voice of Prophecy. My name is Sean Boonstra. And just before we went to that break, I promised you that we would take a look at the Second Commandment. You know the one, the one that forbids the veneration of pictures and statues. And I told you we'd look at the connection between ancient idolatry and Internet porn. And I know that's a, that's a pretty tall order for the short time that we actually have together today. But I think you're going to find this interesting. So, so let's dig into the topic. One of the key reasons, you see, that idolatry originally withered with the spread of Christianity is the fact that the Second Commandment actually forbids the use of images for worship. And just in case you haven't read that commandment in a while, let me just pull it up here from Exodus chapter 20. This is Exodus 20 and verse 4. God says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. Now, there's a lot in the second commandment. It's actually one of the longer commandments. And we could probably spend a lot of shows unpacking all the details in there. It'd probably be worth our time. But for today, let me just point out a few details here that are really important. First of all, this is talking about worship, which is absolutely one of the biggest, most profound motifs in the entire Bible. When you go and look at the central themes in the book of Revelation, you'll discover that worship is a huge last-day issue. Everything boils down to who you worship, who sits on the throne of your heart. Before the end comes, the world actually divides into two camps, and only two camps, those who worship the God who made the heavens and the earth, 
and those who worship the beast in his image. There just is no middle ground in the end. Everybody falls into one camp or the other. So the whole theme of worship is a big deal. In fact, it's the big issue behind the whole Bible story. In the first commandment, God forbid the worship of other gods, which makes great sense. We talked about this on another program. Makes good sense because there really is only one God. There is only one creator. Then in the second commandment, God forbids the use of statues and pictures in worship. He doesn't allow us to put him in a man-made box. He doesn't let us shrink him down to our level. Now, some people have taken this to mean that all pictures are always wrong, that all statues are always forbidden. But if you want to arrive at that conclusion, you have to ignore the context of the rest of the Bible, because there absolutely are pictures and carvings in the Old Testament, particularly in the sanctuary. There are angels embroidered in the veil of the temple. There are statues of cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. It's not artwork that's forbidden. It's the reduction of God that's forbidden. It's the identification of God with man-made objects. So, for example, you have this story where Moses is instructed by God to make a bronze serpent. There was nothing wrong with the bronze serpent per se. But when that same statue became a temptation, when the children of Israel were tempted to worship it, that's when the king had it destroyed. The problem is reducing God. So when people started listening to Paul and converting to the Christian faith, discovering Jesus, the business of idol-making became a losing proposition. Some people might argue, as the Christian church has from time to time, that the statues could theoretically be repurposed. They could be whitewashed and given a Christian name so that the business of making those statues could thrive and everybody could be happy. And historically speaking, a lot of that did happen after the conversion of the Roman Emperor Constantine in the 4th century. And maybe some of that was good. I mean, the things that weren't forbidden by the Word of God. There's nothing necessarily wrong with taking your life and repurposing it and rededicating it to Christ. But this story in Ephesus makes it pretty clear that the original understanding of the church was that the veneration of statues has no place in worship. So when Paul arrived, the idol trade was dead. And of course, the big question is why? I mean, what is the big deal? Why couldn't the new Christians just ask for a different kind of statue to make the silversmiths happy? Well, look at the second commandment again, and you'll find a pretty solid reason. God does not want to be compared to the things he created. He categorizes graven or carved images as things in heaven, things on earth, and things in the waters. And when the Bible describes God as the Creator, it often tells us He made the heavens, the earth, and the sea. That's the expression the Bible uses again and again and again to describe the Creator. In the book of Revelation, chapter 14, the final call to the planet is to come back to God and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. God makes it absolutely clear that he is not the same as his creation. And if we try to boil him down to a likeness, to a carved image, we start to put God in a man-made box. We start to equate God with creation, which is exactly what the pagans were doing. They had a God of the sky, and a God of the earth, and a God of the sun, and a God for, well, just about everything in existence. And in the book of Romans, Paul emphasizes that worshiping creation 
instead of the Creator, has disastrous consequences because we're reducing God to our level. We're making Him into something less than what He really is. But you know, it actually gets a lot worse than that. And this is where Internet porn and the first century worship of Diana actually find some common ground. You see, Diana was a fertility goddess, as were a lot of other pagan gods. Pagan worship often revolved around human sexuality, to the point where the rituals sometimes included overt sexual acts and even temple prostitutes. There was always this strong connection between sexual immorality and pagan idolatry, and that connection is no accident. There's a really good reason God often describes the worship of pagan gods as spiritual adultery. I mean, just listen to this description from Jeremiah chapter 3. Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done, God says? She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there played the harlot. Now, that's actually a reference to pagan worship. And a few verses later, God goes on to mention that Judah was committing adultery with stones and trees. You see, as far as God is concerned, idolatry is adultery. It's the bride of Christ being unfaithful to the groom. And it vividly describes the kind of pain that God feels when his people turn their backs on him. God is a jilted spouse. But you know, the connection between idolatry and adultery runs even deeper. This isn't just a metaphor. Think about the reasons that men turn to porn, or for that matter, women, because in the 21st century, sadly, that's also the case. What is it about that picture, that video, that makes it so appealing? I mean, if you think about it, watching porn doesn't really make a lot of sense, not logically. What could you possibly hope to gain by watching that? Except that the person on the other side of the camera, the person looking at you from your computer screen, is promising you something that doesn't actually exist. She's promising you a one-way relationship where you are in control. It's all about you. You don't have to invest in a real relationship. You don't have to learn how to relate to a real woman. You don't have to worry about someone else's needs and feelings. This is all about you. This is a cheap version of an incredible gift that God gave to the human race. And it's a version that doesn't ask anything from you except maybe your credit card number. It's a shortcut that gives you the illusion of being in control, at least until you find yourself hopelessly addicted, until you find yourself unable to have a normal relationship with a real person of the opposite sex. And that's exactly what porn has in common with idolatry. An idol, a false god, is also a one-way street. It's a designer god created to meet your needs when you want. There's no need for a real relationship, no need for a two-way street. All that statue asks of you is the occasional sacrifice. But after that, you can live any way you want. It's a shortcut that lets you go through the motions of godliness without actually having to deal with God himself. Internet porn is a shortcut that robs you of the gift God wants you to have in marriage. God wants you to have a normal, fulfilling sexual relationship with a real human being. Idolatry is a shortcut that robs you of the relationship you're supposed to have with your Creator. Both problems, both issues, pornography and idolatry, put you on the throne of your own heart. Both of these things feed selfishness. They make you the whole point, the center of the universe. 
And once your ability to deal with real relationships has been destroyed, there's a good chance your children might pick up on your habits and carry them over into their own relationships. Which is why the second commandment talks about this sin of idolatry being passed down to the third and fourth generations. It's one of the key reasons that children who come from dysfunctional homes can have a tough time building a solid marriage. It's because they learned about relationships from someone whose whole world was self. And selfishness, unfortunately, is a very contagious mindset. It's really easy to let it get out of control. I don't think it's an accident that pagan idolatry and sexual immorality always seem to go hand in hand, because they're both building on the same platform. And it's a really tough trap to break out of. Tough, but not impossible. And right after a short break, I'll talk to you a little bit about finding freedom. I'll be right back. Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Are you searching for answers to some of life's biggest questions? Well, the Discover Bible Guides can help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or call us at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. And welcome back to the show. My name, Sean Boonstra. You are listening to The Voice of Prophecy. And just before we took the break, I was talking about the way that an addiction to porn and ancient pagan idolatry both start out the same way. They start as a counterfeit relationship that promises to reward you without any of the hard work that goes into a real relationship. One temptation promises a shortcut in human relationships. The other one promises a shortcut in your relationship with God. And both of these temptations promise to put you in control, but the reality is, it takes all the control away. Now, you might not have a statue of Diana in your house, but you probably do have Internet access. And the same human impulse that led to the veneration of Diana can lead you to venerate airbrushed women who are making impossible promises. It, it's all the same thing. Believe me, it is. It's an imaginary, destructive solution to the deepest needs you have as one of God's children. This is an attempt to be in control. This is an attempt you're making to call all the shots in your life. It's kind of a vending machine mentality. You just pay your fee, you leave your offering, and you get everything you want. Except that you don't. Because you can't control relationships, or they're not real. Trying to control others leaves you empty. Worshipping a God of your own design is going to leave you very empty because there is no other God. And the same is true for porn. It's going to leave you empty because this is not the gift that God intended. But even if you've fallen for it, even if you feel trapped, there is good news. There's no question that porn is more addictive than it's ever been because technology has made it possible for the counterfeit to trigger your brain's reward mechanisms faster than ever. You get addicted. But I'm telling you, you can be free. You might notice that one of the biggest complaints Demetrius had was that Paul's message of hope was taking off like wildfire. It was going all across Asia. And that tells me people were flocking to the gospel. Lots of people were finding freedom. They were breaking free from idolatry. And the reason for that is because they discovered that Jesus offers something much better. Jesus offers a real relationship. 
The the secret to freedom is found in Acts 19, verse 18, in something that happens just before the riots broke out in Ephesus. I mean, listen to this, verse 18. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. What's the first step to freedom? You admit what you're doing. You admit that you've kept yourself on the throne of your own heart. You admit that you've been trying to call all the shots. You admit to God that you've been sinning, and you ask God to restore the two-way relationship the human race used to have. The first step in a relationship with God is to confess who you are, what you've done, and how much you need Him. The first step is to stop trying to control God because you can't. Those who believed Paul in the city of Ephesus admitted what their problem was, and then they did something else. It's in verse 19. Listen to this. Many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. The next thing you've got to do is give it up. Forget trying to be in control of your life. Forget trying to be in control of other people. Forget trying to control God. I mean, what a silly exercise trying to control God is. It's time to walk away from the things you've been doing. Throw out your false gods, your false relationships. Burn them in the fire. You've got to decide that nothing in this world is as valuable as a relationship with Christ. God put such a high value on you that he gave you his only begotten son. And now, right now, the moment has come for you to assess all the things that have been keeping you away from him, no matter what they cost, no matter how much you valued them in the past. If something stands between you and God, get rid of it. Throw it out. Walk away. Put it in the wood stove. And stop trying to run the show. I want you to listen to a sermon that Paul preached in Athens just a few years before the riot in Ephesus. And listen carefully because he points out exactly what we're missing when we turn to gods of our own making. This is Acts 17, verse 24. Paul says, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Here's the lesson. You can't think of God as one more of your possessions. You and I don't get to control him precisely because he's real. See, that's what idolatry is. It's a human attempt to control God. It's a human attempt to be in utter control and call all the shots. We want to tell God who he is and what he needs to be like. But real relationships don't work that way. As long as you're trying to drive, as long as you're trying to reinvent God, recreate him in your own image, you're going to miss out on what he has to offer. He's real. You don't get to define who you are. He gives you life. He gives you breath. He gives you everything you need. In another place, Paul says, in him, that's God, in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, he's the reason you exist. And until you risk a real relationship, until you let God define who he is, until you let him show you who he is and what the terms of a relationship with him are really like, until you take that risk, you haven't lived. You've been faking it. You've been creating your own existence. Let me assure you, God is real. And until you risk a real relationship with him, you're probably never going to discover that for yourself. God is not a concept. God is not a statue. God is not a philosophy. 
He is not something we can control. We do not get to define who he is. And we don't get to say how he's supposed to relate to us. But I've discovered this. Once you take the risk, you will discover God is someone you can trust. And with some apologies to the U.S. Army, if you really want to be all that you can be, it's only going to happen in a two-way trusting relationship where God gets to call all the shots. I can promise you, after several decades of taking that risk, of living in a relationship with someone who is real, and letting him call the shots, I can tell you, at this end of it, it's a relationship absolutely worth having. It's a relationship that shows you just how cheap the counterfeits are. I'm Sean Boonstra. You've been listening to The Voice of Prophecy. Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if you have more questions than answers in your life? Are you searching for answers to some of life's biggest questions? Well, the Discover Bible Guides can help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or call us at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions.